Before we open our Bibles, I want to call your attention to something I saw in the bulletin. Did you get a bulletin? How many of you look at the scorecard down at the bottom? Look at the numbers. It's the first thing that you notice. Probably not the first thing you should notice in the bulletin, but I know some of you go down there. I do, look at the made for more giving. Did you see that? Notice that God is continuing to provide what we need to finish this building project. And if you add those numbers up, you'll see that there's about $1.3 million that's been provided toward that $1.9 million need that we put in front of you a few months ago, and there's only about $600,000 left to be either pledged or given, and I would love to believe that God could get that done before the end of the year. So praise the Lord for what he's provided, and uh, if you've not yet been a part of that, we invite you to be a part of it if this is your church. We've got our Bibles open to Luke chapter 13 as we march verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. I have a question for you as you're opening the Bible. How many of you right now are exhausted? Raise your hand. You're overworked, underpaid, you wish you could be more productive, there's more things to do on your to-do list than you can get done. What if the Bible offered something that would increase your productivity while decreasing your exhaustion? Would you be interested in that? How many of you would be interested in taking that pill? If there was a pill? Well, believe it or not, one of the most obvious things that's taught in Scripture actually provides exactly that. And we're going to see it here in this story as Jesus interacts on the Sabbath day at the synagogue. We're going to pick up the reading here in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now remember, each local community in Israel in that first century time period had a synagogue. It wasn't the place necessarily of worship. That could only take place in Jerusalem at the temple. But each local community had a place, a gathering place where people could be taught God's word. They would pray. It was the cultural center. It was the theological education center. And Jesus walked into one of those those synagogues, probably invited, and he began to teach on the Sabbath. And as he was teaching on the Sabbath, it says in verse 11, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And so this is a story that takes place on the Sabbath day. And here's a woman who comes into the synagogue. Now, how many of you think it took a little work for this woman to get to the synagogue on that day. For some of you, when you think about coming to church, how many of you it requires a little effort? I, I, I tell people quite often, in order for all of our family to get to church on time on Sunday, we have to begin to prepare to get to church at five o'clock p.m. on Thursday if we're gonna get the necessary work done in order for us to show up at church on time. Now, this woman who had a disabling spirit who was bent over, and this is the story that I was taught when I was little, uh, the woman with a crooked back. Have you heard that story? This is this woman, and how many of you think it took a little work for her to get to church? Yes, Um, and our family, we work really hard at church, the whole family. Our our daughter, Leah, probably works the hardest and burns the most calories in church on Sunday. She serves in all four services, and, and she is fond of saying, Lionel Richie obviously never went to church. 
Otherwise, he never would have sung easy like Sunday morning, because it is not easy on Sunday morning. That's a hard day for us. And some of you maybe experienced the same thing if you work on one of our teams. This was a woman who had to work hard to get to the place, the gathering place for God's people. Her physical condition is a picture of the spiritual condition of all of us. Do you understand that all of us are spiritually bent away from God and all of us need a miracle in order to straighten us and straighten our orientation back to God. And so she's a picture of what happens every Sunday morning when people come into this place. I, I see people who are bent and I see my job is straightening you back to have an orientation back to God. And so Jesus confronts her in verse 12. And Jesus saw her and he called her over and said, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And what happens when somebody's made straight? They glorify God and that's exactly what she did. That's a picture of what happens here every Sunday morning. Bent people come in, God's word, Jesus sees us, he makes us straight and we glorify God. It's a wonderful picture of what should happen every time we come to church. But then in verse 14, notice this. The ruler of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath and said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on one of those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Oh, now we're introduced to somebody else in the story who's bent, who needs to be straightened out by Jesus. And that's, about, that's what Jesus is about to do here too. And so Jesus hears this ruler and we find out he's got a disabling spirit as well. It's a spirit of legalism. It's a spirit of rule keeping. He wanted to keep the law of God without understanding the heart of God. And so we need to understand that you and I have the same type of issue. We have this disabling spirit in us. It's, it's this little inner ruler of the synagogue that wants to cast judgment on people who don't do things, everything, everything my way. This guy, just like us, thinks that we can impress God by our rule keeping. That somehow if we can get all of our ducks in a row, if we work really hard to keep the Sabbath then God will be impressed by that. And he misses the whole point of what the Sabbath was all about. Look at verse 15. Jesus begins to straighten him out. Then the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is, yeah. Yeah, we, we would do that for... Our animals, verse 16, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from his, this bond on the Sabbath day? So Jesus has very harsh words for the Sabbath police. As he begins to straighten them out, Jesus essentially looks at him and says, would you give your teaching about the Sabbath a rest? Just give it a rest. Quit enforcing the law 
when there is a season and a time for us to extend grace to those who are coming and glorifying God. Listen, you should always leave work for the work, always leave room for the work of God on whatever day you live. Verse 17 says, and as As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, our legalism usually looks a little different. There's some controversy and some debate debate today about the nature of the Sabbath. What day is it? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Could it be any day? What kinds of work can you do on the Sabbath? And what kind of work should you not do on the Sabbath? We're gonna give some principles of that a little bit later. But most of us get bent about other things. We get bent about, you know, what kind of clothes you should wear and what kind of music you should listen to and what kind of school you should send your kids to and, and, you know, secondary issues of doctrinal application. And we start doing the same thing that this ruler did to this woman, missing the heart and missing the understanding of how bent and broken people are. And none of them are going to be led back to the Lord by our rule keeping. So let's talk about this issue of the Sabbath, okay? Would you like to learn some things that the Bible teaches about the Sabbath? And let's learn some of those things. Uh, The first thing is this. The Sabbath is a rhythm that is built into creation. The reason why this ruler was so bent about the application of the Sabbath is he knew what the Bible taught in the first chapter of the Bible about the Sabbath. Here's what it teaches in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the Sabbath day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. There's a rhythm, six days on, one day off. There's a God-ordained rhythmic relationship between work and rest. It's built into the creation, and because you are a creation, it's built into you. There's a rhythm that God expects our bodies, our minds, our souls, to be in tune with. God ordained work as good. Did you know that God required man to work before the fall? And God said it was very good. You say, I don't think my work's very good. Well, God said it's good. God wants you to work. He ordained work. But just as much as he ordained work, he also ordained rest. Please understand, work is not your problem. Your work is not, turn to your neighbor and say, your work is not your problem. Your problem is you don't know how to rest. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's your problem. You don't know how to rest. The reason you're so stressed about your work is because you are not applying the rhythm of rest. Both overwork and underwork are distortions of God's creative design for us. In the first couple of chapters of the scripture, there's three things that God says he blesses. Number one, he blessed man. And then he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. What does that mean? I want you to give life. You're to produce life. The second thing that he blessed was the the animal world. 
And he again says, be fruitful and multiply, give life. Do you know what the third thing is that he blessed? We just read it. He blessed a day. That's interesting, isn't it? And if he blessed the day, what is he trying to say? That day is designed to give you life, to multiply you. And if we violate it, we're going to feel less than alive. Some of you are sitting right here, no, 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 I'm a college student and I've got papers to write and I've got tests to take, I gotta study. God rested. You say, no, 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 I, I'm a type A driven personality, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur. God rested. Some of you are saying, I got four kids under the age of 10, they need me every second. God rested. Do you know what you're saying when you say, I don't have time to rest? What you're saying is my work is more important than God's. And that drives to the heart of what we believe about the gospel. Sabbath is a command to stop, to rest, to enjoy, and to worship. So let's talk about those four things. Notice over in Exodus chapter 20, now we're in the second book of the Bible, and we read, remember the Sabbath. Don't forget the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And so we're told to remember the Sabbath. So what does Sabbath mean? What does the word Sabbath mean? It's like, that's not an English word. What does it mean? In its simplest terms, it means stop. Some of you got really uncomfortable right there because I didn't say anything for five seconds. It's like we don't know how to stop, do we? We don't know what to do with silence. We don't know how to stop. That's what God wants us to do in keeping the Sabbath. It's a command to us. Now, listen, do you understand God is commanding you to rest? I don't know about you, but that's like commanding me to eat a Krispy Kreme donut. Why would I not do that? Go enjoy a day at the beach. Why would we not do that? There's something so twisted in us. Do you know what? That we would rather work to enjoy our work rather than to stop long enough to enjoy God's work. That's the next word is to rest. To rest means to relax. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, said this about the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath was unique among the world's cultures at the time. When it was given, it limited work, it limited profit-taking, it limited exploitation, it limited economic production in general. Every seventh day, no work could be done in the fields, and every seventh year, the field was to remain fallow, not to be cultivated at all. This surely meant that in the short run, Israel was less economically productive and prosperous than its neighbors, but in the long run, of course, a deeply rested people are far more productive. A recent study was done of people that are very strict about keeping the Sabbath day, a particular re religious group, and you know what they found out? Those people live, on average, 10 years longer than the rest of us. 
Do you know if you added up all the Sabbaths over the course of a lifetime, do you know what that would add up to? About 10 years. Do you know what's happening? God is saying, you will keep the Sabbath. You will either keep it as a self-imposed discipline or a God-imposed discipline. Either it will be a delight to you or it will turn into a discipline. You literally are taking years off of your life by violating the command to rest. And not only that, to, be, to, be, to enjoy. Sabbath is an unhurried time to enjoy the creative, beautiful design and the work of God. Sabbath helps us gain perspective to see things we can't see while we're working. We will not be free to enjoy God's work until we regularly, periodically, and rhythmically cease from our own. It means to pause, to rest, to relax, to reflect upon the work of God while we're not reflecting on our own. And then to worship. Now, it's very important that you realize Sabbath has a directional component to it because you can stop, rest, and enjoy without ever acknowledging the work of God. And that's what we do when we worship. Only a Christian, only a believer can enjoy the handiwork of God as an act of worship. Notice it says, the seventh day is to be a Sabbath to the Lord. So it doesn't just mean take a nap. It doesn't just mean take a walk. It doesn't just mean disengage your brain. It means that we do all of this while we are worshiping the Lord. The Sabbath, thirdly, is a declaration that we are free from slavery. Now put this together. Now we're into the fifth book of the Bible. We get to Deuteronomy and we read this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Now he's speaking to the Jewish people that had just spent 400 years dominated under Egyptian rule. God sets them free. He brings them out of slavery. And the first thing he reminds them to do, keep the Sabbath. Why? Because you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord, your God, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Can I... Can I let you know a little secret here that most of you probably are not even aware of? Everything in your culture is trying to enslave you. Did you know that? We live in a culture that's trying to enslave us to our work. Your career wants you to give everything to it unconditionally. It, it, the demands of productivity and the demands of sales and the demands of quotas and all those performance evaluations, all of, the, the, all of that is, is, is trying to enslave you to your career. Your children want um, to enslave you to their demands and their expectations. Your school wants to enslave you to academic achievement. Your culture wants to enslave you to materialism entertainment, technology, and productivity. When you take a Sabbath, do you know what you're saying? I am free. I will not be owned. I will not be mastered by anything other 
than the one who created me. Everything in this culture will try to enslave you. When you don't take a Sabbath, when you violate God's command, what you're saying is, I enjoy my slavery. I enjoy being mastered. If you won't leave work on time, if you don't take all your vacation days, what you are saying is, I'm a slave to my work. And Jesus wants to remind us, you are not a, to be a slave to anyone or anything but God. Number four, Sabbath is a grace gift that allows for broad application. Now, the New Testament, as we get into the New Testament, we see the teaching of the, of, of the Sabbath on the New Testament. It confronts that little inner Pharisee inside of me that wants to put obligation on people around me to do their Sabbath the way that I do my Sabbath. And yet the New Testament gives us broad application about how we Sabbath. Notice this verse in Colossians chapter 2. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, some of you started to judge me when I said, I ate a Krispy Kreme donut. I said, you don't judge me. Don't judge me. That's what, it's, it's biblical. Don't judge me. Don't, don't, don't put judgment on anyone about questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do you know what he's saying? He's telling us that the Sabbath is meant to point us to Jesus. Romans chapter 14 goes on and says this, one person esteems one day better than another. I think Sunday's the best day. I think Saturday's the best day. I think Tuesday's the best day. He says, while another, seems all, uh, another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor to the Lord. Great, you pick a day and you honor the Lord on that day without the judgment. And so uh, please understand this. Your Sabbath day may look very different than somebody else's. A Sabbath for a 30-something mother of four children under the age of 10 is probably going to look a lot different than the Sabbath of empty nesters who are in their 60s living on a farm. That's gonna be a different application. But if we're gonna bind each other by our own consciences, we are going to turn into that ruler of the synagogue. How many of you think that the ruler of the synagogue was really concerned about the rest of Jesus? How many of you think that he was just really concerned? Jesus, we just really don't want you working too hard. No, no. it was all about his religious rule keeping to try to impress God. So let's make it real practical. How many of you, when you work, primarily you work inside? Raise your hand if you work inside. Do you know what a Sabbath day may look like for you? That you spend some time outside. Is there anybody here that spends most of your work outside? How many of you mostly work inside? Maybe your Sabbath means that you spend time inside. How many of you work while you're standing? Raise your hand if you work while you're standing. Maybe Sabbath for you means you need to sit down. How many of you spend most of your work sitting? Raise your hand. 
and you bear in your bodies the the marks of, of doing that. Maybe Sabbath for you means that you need to stand up and get some exercise. How many of you primarily work with your mind? It's about the things that you read, the things that you're thinking about, the things that you're writing. Maybe Sabbath for you means you work with your hands. How many of you primarily work with your hands? Um, you might want to sit in a chair on the Sabbath and do some reading and some thinking and some dreaming and maybe even some writing. It's going to look different. For some of us, um, we, we're very connected in our work to technology. How many of you are really connected to technology in your work? You spend a lot of time looking at a screen. Maybe for a Sabbath for you means you do not look at a screen and you turn off your technology and you Sabbath. So for some of the rest of you, you're so busy, you, have never, you don't even have time to watch a screen. Maybe you need to sit down on a Sabbath and watch a movie. Maybe you need to plug into some things that would give you some rest. For some of us, you, you spend, like me, most of your time building the church, working for God. A Sabbath for us would look like not coming to church. If you spend most of your time helping other people Sabbath, then a Sabbath for us means that we're probably gonna to need to spend some time away from building the church to build our own family or to build our own soul, build our own relationship with God, right? Um, a lot of churches recognize, even in our day, that it's really hard for pastors especially to get the work rest balance right. I know some of you think, pastors, you only work on one day. I know how you guys are. You just work on one day. It's just probably a little misinformed there. And uh, many churches are understanding that, hey, those that are in pastoral work, they, they might need to remove themselves or we might need to remove them from church for a little while to give them some space and time to rest. I want to let you know something coming up. January, February, March of 2020, the elders of your church are requiring me to get some rest. Not because I'm in crisis, not because I'm under discipline or anything. They want to make sure I don't ever get to that point. And so they're sending me away. We're going to a secret undisclosed location, okay? And uh, Andrea's coming with, Leah's coming with, and we're gonna disappear for about 14 weeks from Christmas to Good Friday, okay? And you're like, oh no, what are we gonna do? You will be in great hands, okay? Show up tonight for the prayer meeting and our elders are gonna give you more detail about how all that's gonna work and how we're gonna get through all that. You're gonna be great. It's gonna be great, we're gonna be great, we're gonna get through it together. But I wanna give you that heads up because it's really important for us as a church to be healthy. And I think you want your pastor to be healthy, right? All in favor of the healthy pastors in church and, and all in favor of healthy pastors' wives, especially being healthy, yes, so that the pastor can be healthy, right? So we're, we'll give you more detail about that. Sabbath is a grace gift that allows for broad application. Number five, Sabbath is a sign that points to a greater truth. Now let's go a little deeper in our thinking here. Notice Hebrews chapter four. Verses 9 and 10, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Don't you love the last phrase? Work really hard to get some rest. 
You have to strive to enter into that rest. Now, the rest that he's talking about is different than just a 24-hour period of time that we read about in the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews that's giving a commentary on the Old Testament is helping us to understand there's a deeper reality. Remember, the Sabbath is a shadow. Now, think about a shadow. These lights right now are, are, are putting light on me. I am the substance. The light is hitting me and behind me there's a shadow. When we read the Old Testament, we're seeing the shadow. The New Testament wants us to see the substance. The substance is Christ. The shadow is the Sabbath. What he's trying to get us to see is that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The default nature of the human heart is to work to impress God so he will be good to us and grant us a home forever in heaven where we will rest forever. That is not the teaching of the Bible. We have to deconstruct our default nature that says, I've got to work really hard to be good for God and to understand only Jesus was good. And it is because of the work of Jesus that we can now rest from our work to try to impress God. Yes, we need to work really hard to be good, but we rest in the work of Jesus who purchased our redemption on the cross. The Sabbath is designed to produce a spirit of restfulness in me that lasts the whole week. Just taking 24 hours and doing nothing doesn't necessarily address the need in my heart for my heart to rest in the work of Jesus Christ. Sabbath rest exposes our tendency to worship our work. We tend to get our identity and our our value and our sense of significance from our work rather than from the work of Jesus. And the Sabbath helps us to reverse that, to understand that, yes, I can work really hard in the kingdom of God knowing that the work of Jesus was enough. Adding all kinds of religious, rule-keeping, legalistic standards actually diminishes the work of Christ. And so we've got to free ourselves from the sense that we work in order to impress God. We rest in the work of God even as we work for God. Here's the sixth thing. By the way, there's only six points. You can only have six points in a message on Sabbath, okay? You can't have seven points. You know, only six points in the message, all right? Last one. Sabbath reminds me that God is always at work building his kingdom. Now, we're not done here. Jesus tells two stories, two parables about, I think, connected to what he was teaching there about the Sabbath. Look at verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? You ever wondered that? What's the kingdom of God like? How does, how does God operate in his kingdom? He's a king. How does he operate in his kingdom? He wants us to know. He says, and to what shall I compare it? The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. 
Do you see the work involved? Have you ever tried to plant a garden? There's some work involved in that, right? You put the seed in the ground, he says it grew and it became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in it. Do you see the parallel? Jesus is the one at work. Jesus is the one by his work on the cross, by his teaching, by by accomplishing everything that our work before God could not, gives life and it grows to produce something that you and I could never produce. And he compares it to a tree where birds come, make a nest. Do birds have to work really hard to make a nest? Yes, but when the nest is made, what do the birds do? They rest. The kingdom of God's like that. Jesus has done all the work necessary to provide a place for you. Yes, there's work involved, but ultimately it is a place of rest in the work of God. Second parable he tells, I think is related to that as well. Look at verse 20. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Some of you women, this is the busiest time of the year for you because you're baking cookies and I don't know, how many loaves of banana bread have you made, honey, in the last 24 hours? 25? 35? One? Okay, we need to get together later and talk about how many loaves. I bet there's some leaven that has gone in. There's some work involved by some women in this room around the holidays. Can I get an amen? And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven's like that. You work really hard. Notice, I love this, right? It doesn't tell us that she completed the project. It just says she put in three, she put in the leaven and hid it for three measures of flour until it was all leavened. We would expect the story to continue. And then she put it in the oven and then she pulled it out and then she sliced it and she served the meal. But it doesn't say that. You know what the implication is? She put the leaven in, she hid it in there. It's invisible, you can't see it. And then she went to bed and she rested and she waited. And over time, what happened? It increased, it grew, and it provided a wonderful meal for those that she served. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. You can't always see that God is always at work, but he's always working, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, God is always at work. That is a great verse for church planters. Did you know that? Because we work really hard believing that one day God's gonna make it increase, gonna make it grow, and it's gonna turn into something that's gonna provide rest for others. And Jesus wants you to know even when you don't see him working, you can rest. God is always at work. I want you to stand together with me. I want you to bow your heads. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And we do this each week, right? Come to the end of the service. And it's usually kind of hurried because we have to get out of here to let another group come in, but could I just give you a moment simply to rest, to enjoy 
the work of Jesus Christ that's been done on your behalf. And for those of you that have yet to understand, you don't have to work your way to heaven. Jesus has done all the work necessary so that you could come like a bird and nest in him. You can surrender your heart to him. And for those of us who are Christians and we're so busy and we never take time, would you just simply recommit to the Lord that I am resting in you? Maybe for some of you, really practically this afternoon, you need to go home, get out a journal, just sit down and write out some things that you're gonna do to be intentional about your rest. It may mean you turn off the technology. It may mean that you sit and you just read the scripture. It may mean that you get on your knees and pray. For some of you, the most practical application is you need to go home and take a nap. Lord, thank you for the truth of knowing that you're always at work in our lives and all the work that you've done to bring us into your kingdom. And Lord, for us, we want to simply enjoy your creative design, the rhythm that you built into our lives. Help us to rest in your work. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.